Okay, now that I got that out of the way, now we're going to go into the message, and we're going to wrap up our series called Blueprint, where we've been looking at some of the doctrinal foundational beliefs of Christianity, and we've discussed so many topics in this series. We've discussed salvation, the return of Christ, the purpose of the church, baptism, communion, approach to culture, worship, and finally today, we're going to be talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we say the word doctrine, that can sound boring, but if you've been here over this series, we have said that God has laid a blueprint of different beliefs that we should hold on to because those beliefs become a roadmap for our life where we're not just randomly hitting the buttons of life hoping that everything lines out. When we follow God's plan, we know the conclusion from the beginning because God goes before us and this is how he's instructed us to live. As Christians, we need to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. We say around here, we believe that you are to be spirit-led, to be a blessing. We have a, a poster up in the, in the foyer about this. We value being spirit-led because when you look at Scripture, what you see is that the Holy Spirit empowered the first believers, and everywhere they went, they changed the surroundings that they were in. God worked through them to bless other people. And as Christians, we should be blessings to our neighbors. We should be blessings to our families, and we should be blessings to strangers. The question is, is what does that look like? And so I want to jump right into the scripture today to John chapter number 14, and we're going to read verses 15 through 18. So if you have your Bibles with you today, you can turn there or turn onto your phone, unless you're watching online on your phone, and then you're going to have a hard time doing that. But if you're not, I promise to read it properly to you. John 14, starting verse number 15, it says this. Jesus is speaking. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Who is the person of the Holy Spirit. In Scripture, there's a theme that runs from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. And that theme is this, God is three in one. Christians believe in the Trinity of God. We believe that when you see God, what we understand from the Bible is that when you look at him, God is one, but in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. Now, obviously, this is a difficult concept to wrap our minds around, and this is natural because we are humans with a finite mind trying to understand an infinite God. But what we see is, is that the Bible teaches that God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit are three in one. They are same in essence. And what that means is, is that they have the same divine attributes. They have the same divine purpose and the same divine power. They have the same holiness and the same majesty. It's insufficient to use this analogy, but... I've used it before. It's the best that I can think of. It's the best that I've ever heard. And that's the illustration of water, steam, and ice. All three elements are the same makeup. They're the same in essence, H2O, but they have different forms. And in a very rough, rudimentary way, that's 
kind of how the Trinity works. The Bible shows this distinction where God is one in three distinct forms. We, we see this play out over and over again. At Jesus' baptism, Jesus, the Son of God, is coming up out of the water as the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and God says from heaven, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. You see all three, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit instantaneously all at this one event. And this passage I just read to you, Jesus is again referencing three in one. He said that he is returning to the Father and that he would send the Holy Spirit. Again, we see three in one. Now, we tend to focus a lot on God the Father. We tend to focus a lot on God the Son, Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is, as Francis Chan said, the forgotten God. We forget sometimes that we become the temples of the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit is here with us. In our passage, Jesus is teaching us something powerful about the Holy Spirit. He teaches us the role of the person of the Holy Spirit in our life. And here's the big idea of this message. Outside of salvation, the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift that God has ever given a believer because the Holy Spirit is a gift of God himself to you. Jesus said, I will be with you. I will be with you. We see from this passage that the Holy Spirit is our advocate to God. And depending on the translation of the Bible that you're using and depending upon the word that you see here, some translations say the Holy Spirit is our helper. Some say comforter. Some say counselor. Some say advocate. Now, if you look through life, a lot of you say, man, I need him to be all three of those on some days, right? Especially you moms or your kids have been home for like 18 years now, you know, because it's only been like four months, but it's felt like 18 years. You're like, I need him to be my helper. I definitely need him to be my counselor, and I need him to be my comforter because these kids are driving me insane, right? Okay, maybe not. Maybe that's just charity then. The rest of you got it together. I'm just kidding. Charity's doing great. She's doing fine. Just kidding. The New Testament, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and the word here is paraclete, which means to come alongside. It's the same word that we get for paramedic or paralegal. Some of the kids in school have paras that help them get their word done. There's almost a, a legal feel to this word. But I believe, based upon that, the best translation for this word that Jesus is using to describe the Holy Spirit is advocate. And what's really interesting here is that Jesus says, I'm going to send you another. There's, a, there's another advocate. I'm going to send you another helper, another comforter, another counselor. Now, an advocate... Is the reason why I think this word is the best when you look at it is because an advocate is someone who speaks on behalf of another person's interest or affairs. Imagine a lawyer for a moment. The lawyer speaks to the court on behalf of the client. The lawyer speaks words that are on par with the client. They're almost one in a sense because the lawyer is advocating with full authority on behalf of the client. So when the court's speaking to the, the lawyer, they might as well be speaking to the client because in the eyes of the law, they are one and the same. And this is a perfect representation of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is an other advocate in our life. So if the Holy Spirit is the other advocate or another advocate, then who is the first advocate in our life? 
Now, this should teach us something real quick. We are really messed up if God himself says, you need two helpers because you guys are messed up. The answer, who is the first advocate, is Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, 1 says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, how many of that's you? That's, that's me right there. All right, this was written so that we don't sin, but when you do, it's this guy right here. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Romans 8.34, who is the condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you catch that? Jesus is advocating for us. He is interceding for us to the Father. God in his love and in his mercy has given us two advocates. The first advocate was and is Jesus Christ. He advocated for us by taking our place at the cross. Remember what I said about the lawyer. In the eyes of the law, they're one and the same. Jesus stepped in for us, the condemned, and took our place at the cross. He represented us at the cross. And furthermore, he represented us with righteousness that you and I couldn't live out. So he did two things at one time. You and I cannot live righteous. Jesus came and lived righteous for us. You and I needed to die a death. Jesus went and died that death for us. He took our place and now he intercedes for us. So Jesus advocates to, uh, for us to the Father while the Holy Spirit is advocating from the Father, speaking on the Father's behalf, representing the Father in our life with, catch this, full authority of the Father. It's a lot to wrap our mind around, so I want that to sink in for a moment. Jesus took our place by living the righteous life that we could not live and dying the death we owed. He's our first advocate. The second advocate comes from the Father. Jesus sent him to us to represent the Father, to speak on behalf of the Father with full authority of the Father in our life. So you have one advocate before God, Jesus Christ, and God has an advocate before you, and the Holy Spirit. We need both. Talk about having the best team in the world representing you. This is why Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to abandon you. A lot of people ask when Jesus said, it's better for you that I go to heaven because then I can send the Holy Spirit to you. How can it be better for Jesus to go to heaven? Because now the advocate is living in your life. The Holy Spirit The power of presence is a gift of God in your life. God is dwelling in and among his people, and the scripture says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Now, this should bring us great comfort as believers because we are never alone. The promise that Jesus said that he would never leave us, never forsake us, is continually fulfilled in our life by the person of the Holy Spirit. So God's gift to you is his spirit in you, to help you to become like Christ and empower you for your purpose. That is the role of the advocate in your life. Now, some people say, okay, what is everything the Holy Spirit does? Well, that's a very complex question. There's a lot of ways that we could go. In fact, three months ago, we spent a five-week series talking about the Holy Spirit in our lives. But today, I really want to zone in on two things. The gift of the Holy Spirit in your life is for your sanctification and your empowerment. 
If you look at it and boil it down, I think you can boil down the work of the Holy Spirit and the life of a believer to two things. The Holy Spirit is there to help you become sanctified, and the Holy Spirit is there to help you become empowered. Let's look at those separately this morning. The first, the role of the advocate of, in your life is for your sanctification. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11 says this, And such were some of you. He listed all the different sins that the world engages in. And such as were some of you. We were all sinners. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The word sanctification means to become like Jesus. When we surrender our life to Jesus, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit indwells in us at that moment that we are saved. And then he starts the process where he starts to form us and fashion us to become more like Jesus. Because a disciple is to mimic the master. And as disciples of Jesus, we are to mimic the master in our thoughts and in our actions with one another and with him. Romans 8 9 through 11 confirms this to us. It says, You, however, are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sins, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So what makes this clear is that the Holy Spirit is the one working inside of us, bringing us life and helping us become more like Jesus. Think of it like this. Think of a, an artist who has a block of marble and they're going to carve out and they're going to chip away into some sort of monument. The artist takes a hammer, he takes a chisel, and starts knocking away everything that shouldn't be there. That's what the Holy Spirit does inside of our life. He comes in. The old man is dead. He breathes new life, and he starts to chip away at everything that shouldn't be there. That's why after you get saved, things that no, they didn't used to bother you now bother you now. They, they convict you more. Or maybe even as you get more mature in your faith, things that didn't bother you when you first started out in your faith now kind of bother you a little bit more. You're like, hey, I need to get rid of some things in my life. I mean, have you ever been there in your own life? Things kind of bother you more. What is that doing? The Holy Spirit is teaching you to become more like Jesus. And not to be sacrilegious, but the Holy Spirit probably has the hardest job of anybody on the world, trying to turn us into Jesus, trying to make us more like Christ, where our thoughts and our actions mimic Christ. Have you ever sinned so bad you looked over your life and thought, what in the world was I thinking? The Holy Spirit comes in and He starts to change us. Shape us, reform us. I was telling some friends a while back, they used to get really angry during football season. How many of you are there? Like, I mean, just throwing a temper tantrum during football season. I remember very vividly several years ago, I was throwing an especially angered fit. It was an OU versus Notre Dame game. How many of you guys remember that when Blake Bell just could not get in the end zone to save his life? Yeah. So I'm sitting there, it was like the score was like two to four or something. I mean, it's just a terrible game. 
sitting there, and I'm in the living room. Knox is, I don't know where Knox is. Charity's in the other room because at this point, my attitude had driven her out of the room. And I'm sitting there just throwing a fit like a baby. I'm throwing pillows. I'm yelling at the TV. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just seriously acting the fool. And when it was over, I remember sitting there thinking, and I, I swear God says, so what good did that do you? Still lost, you know, and you just made an idiot of yourself. The Holy Spirit convicted my heart in that moment. And I said, you know what, I can't do this. This ain't good. And I don't think I've ever yelled at the TV since. Not in a bad way. Now, they score something. I might get excited one of these deals, you know, but what's the Holy Spirit trying to do? Sanctify my life. And I'm sure that if I took the mic around this morning, every single one of you would help. I think Jen just said he did not sanctify the one you guys play games with the staff. Yeah. I didn't hear that. I just assumed that's what you said. They're having fun over here at my expense. I'm still competitive when it comes to board games. The Lord hasn't sanctified my heart enough yet. But notice what the Jesus said in our opening verse in John. He says, the Holy Spirit indwells our life. At confession, the Holy Spirit takes residence in our heart. In that moment, he starts to do a work of sanctification. And how the Holy Spirit does a work of sanctification, how he makes us more like Jesus is by curing our heart so that we have a renewal of our thoughts that produces new behaviors. You want to know the process of how the Holy Spirit makes you like Jesus? He cures our hearts by renewing our thoughts, which produces new behaviors. So we have to get to the root of the symptoms. Every single problem in our life is rooted in a corrupt and sick heart which then produces terrible thoughts, which then produces sinful actions. But when Jesus comes in, notice he lives inside of you. This is an internal work that produces outward results. He lives inside of us and he cures our hearts. If you have cancer, you don't treat the symptoms. You go to the problem. And our hearts are sick and the Holy Spirit goes and he starts to cure the sick heart. This is one thing that I wish that we could understand in our culture and our society today. We have lied to ourselves that we're good people. You see, particularly in in celebrity status, that celebrities, and I don't want to pick on them, they're just representations of all of us, but they get caught doing something terrible. They stand up behind a podium and they say, I did this horrible thing, but this is not who I am. We lie to ourselves. This is exactly who we are. Humanity, we have a sick heart. We're dying of sin. And no external things are going to fix it. That's why religion doesn't work, because it's not about trying harder. We can't try harder. We need a regeneration of our hearts. But the Holy Spirit is the great physician that comes in and heals our hearts and makes our hearts come alive. He breathes new life into our hearts. He fixes what's wrong on the inside. And as that goes, it starts to renew our mind. That's why Romans 12, 1, 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to present your bodies as the living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. When the Holy Spirit fixes our hearts, 
it changes how we think. And how we think changes how we act. How many of you, you get mad at somebody, you just play it over and over and over again in your mind, and then you act terrible around that person? It happens. Why? Because our mind, our thoughts, manifest themselves in action. Theology, the study of God as an academic discipline is important, but applying those teachings to the heart is what the Holy Spirit does. He cures our hearts, and He cures our mindsets, and He cures our thoughts. This cured heart then leads to new behaviors. Now, because my heart is cured, my mind is renewed, and I start producing fruit of the Spirit in my life, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. These things are a natural byproduct of my life because the work of the Holy Spirit. Before long, I start to see a change in my life. Jesus has started to bring a change. Now, it's important to understand the working and the order of the Holy Spirit. I said this a moment ago, but I want to say it again because it's so important. The work of the Holy Spirit is always inside out. It's not outside in. What I mean by that is a lot of us try to kick bad habits and we just can't do it. Because again, it's not about trying harder. It's about letting the Holy Spirit work in you. The Holy Spirit working in you is the greatest news that any of us can ever get as Christians. Jesus said it like this, John 16, verses 4, second half of 4 through 7. I did not say these things to you in the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. So good that the helper lives inside of us because he helps us. He cures our hearts so that we can be sanctified, become more like Christ. The second role the advocate plays is the advocate empowers the believer for a life of service. The helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit empowers the believer for a life of service. I want to read three scriptures to you, and I want you to see these in chronological order. This is Jesus speaking to the people. The first passage is Jesus, after he is resurrected from the dead, he's in Jerusalem, and he tells the disciples, stay in Jerusalem because they're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And then in the second passage, we're going to see he tells them the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And in the third passage, we're going to see them receive the Holy Spirit. Here's what it says. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49 says this. Then he said to them, these are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father onto you, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Acts 1.8 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in the third, Acts 2, 4, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, as an Assembly of God church, we identify with the Pentecostal doctrine. 
And in our context, what that means is when we read the Bible, we take it at face value and we believe based off of a pattern of scripture that there are two works of the Holy Spirit inside of an individual's life. There is the initial indwelling of the Holy Spirit at conversion that starts the sanctification process that we just talked about, but then that there's a continued work of grace where the Holy Spirit wants to work inside of you, as, as Jesus said, baptize you in the Holy Spirit where the Spirit immerses you and empowers you for the purpose of being his witness. Here's the big idea of this point. The Holy Spirit empowers us to edify the body of believers to advance the witness of Christ. I want that to soak in for a moment. The Holy Spirit empowers us to edify the body of believers to advance the witness of Christ. Or said another way, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit always point to Jesus. He said, you will receive power to be my witnesses. You will receive power to be my witnesses. Some people have argued that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second work of grace, meaning it's a second event. I get, I get that because... The moment we call that baptized of the Holy Spirit, but I've argued for a long time that baptism of the Holy Spirit is never about an event. It's always about a lifestyle. I've talked about that a lot, even from this pulpit. If we think that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an event, then we miss the entire purpose because it's not about one time that you pray at an altar and God fills you with the Holy Spirit and you speak in other tongues. It's about a lifestyle where we're pointing to Jesus Christ. That's what you see with the believers. That's what made the first church so effective. We just read a moment ago, and we're going to read it in context here in a second. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it changed how they lived their life. And everywhere they went, there was an impact because the Spirit of God was working through them. It was a lifestyle. If you look in Scripture, it's amazing. You just read the book of Acts. I've probably read that book more than any other book in the Bible. It's amazing how many times it refers to them being filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it was a renewal, there was a refreshing, there was a continual process. Imagine if you take a cup of water and you put it outside in the hot sun, and we come back in an hour, particularly during the summer heat, none of us are going to want to drink out of that glass. Why? Because that water's gotten stagnant, it's gotten old, it's gotten nasty. We want fresh water poured into the glass, we want fresh clean water, fresh cool water. And what you see in Scripture is that the Holy Spirit was continually moving through and in the believers, so there was a constant refreshing process in their life. That's what we need. They were empowered to preach the gospel. They were empowered to pray for the sick. They were empowered to proclaim freedom from the oppressed. Living a spirit-empowered life is about a life of service to Jesus Christ. And what we see from the pattern of Scripture, a lot of times is there's a span of time between the salvation and this second experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. Let me show this to you. Jesus had ascended 10 days earlier. The disciples were praying in the upper room, and here's what happened. This is the full context of Acts 2, starting verse number 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on them, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. 
Now, as you can imagine, this draws a crowd. The crowd hears the people in this upper room praising God in their own languages, and they're very confused. You see, this was during the, the, the festival of Pentecost, and people from all over the world descended into Jerusalem for this festival. And so people from all different parts of the world were there, and they hear them speaking and praising God in their native tongues. And they're bewildered by this. It draws a crowd. It would be like us going and flying to Tokyo, Japan, sitting there in Tokyo, Japan, and then all of a sudden all the people of Japanese descent are there speaking perfect English. We would want to know what was going on. That's exactly what happened here. And Peter stands up and he preaches to the crowd. And his message tells us that the Old Testament foretold this time. In the book of Joel, it was prophesied that there would be a day when God poured out his spirit on all people. This was, this was part of the process. This was all prophesied beforehand. Why? Because something new happened when Jesus showed up. And this power that happened in the moment then produced fruit. So Peter's there, and he preaches this message, and thousands of people were saved. 3,000 people were saved. A few weeks later, he's there, and he's going down the road, and he sees this guy who's been begging And he says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. This guy starts walking. 2,000 more people are saved. You see everywhere they went that things were happening. Why? Because they were empowered. And they weren't empowered just for the sake of power. They were empowered to fulfill the command to take the gospel message to the whole world. God had a purpose and a plan for them. And it was to empower them to bring his kingdom onto earth. That was the first thing he started. My kingdom is at hand. Now, this is a lofty challenge. The kingdom of God is marked by salvation and healing and restoration and freedom from captivity and sight for the blind. All these things we're not able to do on our own. None of us has the ability to save someone from hell. None of us have the words to give to a lost person who just lost someone in tragedy. None of us have the words for a marriage falling apart. None of us have the ability to touch a a sick body and bring life to it. None of us can do those things. But God who formed the universe, who raised Jesus from the dead, now lives in you and empowers you. And you can do what he's called you to do when he calls you to do it. If we're truly going to see, as we say from this pulpit a lot, a culture in here that impacts a community out there. We can't do that without the Holy Spirit empowerment in our life. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need a constant infilling and refilling of the Holy Spirit in your life. It needs to be a continual thing. I encourage you to go home and read the book of Acts. Go home and see what God did in their life. When you look at the totality of Scripture, what you see is the Holy Spirit empowered the body to advance His witness. The question then becomes, how do I receive the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus tells us very plainly, Luke chapter number 11, verse 13. He's speaking to the crowd. He says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? By definition, the baptism and empowerment of the Holy Spirit is a gift. You don't earn a gift. You ask the Father, and as Jesus says, He gives freely. So when you seek the Holy Spirit, all you're doing is you're seeking the Father and you're saying, I need more of you. I need this gift that you've promised to me. I want to close with this as the worship team comes back. I remember very distinctly my own personal journey in this. 
remember being empowered by the Holy Spirit when I was at church camp. And I was alone. No one was praying for me. See, when I was a kid, I felt called into the ministry, but I wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking other tongues. And I didn't feel qualified to be in ministry to begin with. To be honest with you, I wouldn't have been my first choice for a pastor because I know me. Like, not that guy. I told God I'd be faithful to the ministry, but I just couldn't do it on my own. I needed his help. And I caught the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you will. Now, sometimes in Pentecostal circles, let's just be honest, we have a lot of weird practices to help people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The old joke used to be when I was a kid, the pastor always say, you have half the people saying, just let go. The other half the people saying, hold on. You know, and you're like, what's going on? How do you remember those days? I remember those, yeah. But Jesus said something really interesting. He said, you guys are evil. Jesus just came along to encourage that crowd, didn't he? He's like, you guys are terrible people, and you know how to give good gifts to your kids. He said, how much more does the Father know how to give the Spirit to those who ask? So as you are there and you're saying, you know what, God, I'm going to be faithful to you. I need your empowerment in my life. All you have to do is ask. That's what I know for me personally, that verse resonates because I just simply asked God and I was on my own. I was by myself. It was an experience I never had before. Most people have stories of their own. But what you see is that ultimately it's not about earning it. It's not about trying. It's about simply asking God, God, here I am. I want you to sanctify my life and I want to be empowered for you. You would please stand with me this morning. I know I've covered a lot of information today with you. Thank you for your patience. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is an advocate for our life. John 14 was the passage we started with in verse number 18. He said that he would not leave us as orphans. Now, this is the last night in context that Jesus is on earth and his disciples realize that he's about to die and they're scared and they've been living with Jesus, seeing him in miraculous ways and seeing him in ordinary ways and now they're not sure how they're going to live without him. And he's saying this to try to comfort them. He says, don't be afraid. He said, I'm going to always be with you because the Holy Spirit's going to be inside of you. I, I was blessed with a great family. I had great parents. Unfortunately, so many children in this world, and perhaps maybe even some of you in this room or watching online, you, you, you didn't have great home life. A lot of people, a lot of kids, unfortunately, in our society today are orphans. My heart breaks for them because what kind of fear or anxiety wells up inside of their heart when a child loses a stable home life. God be scary. But spiritually, we have to understand that none of us are orphans because Jesus' Spirit is with us. God's Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is inside of us. This is the power. This is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in our lives.